Welcome, primos y primas, to My Primos Podcast, and today we're having a special guest, Mr. Henry Barajas, uh, primo here, uh, creating some great content, which we're going to cover, uh, but for those of you that, you know, are coming back to the show, again, we do these periodically, we like to meet with creators, you know, be it comic books, be it writers, be it even in business, just all facets, you know, we talk about representation matters and that's a big focus for us here in my primos podcast we're all primos you know we're all connected and we all are connected in solidarity and trying to really put ourselves out there especially in in the medium of art you know we want to get out there as much as possible uh but today you know henry's gonna just hang with us talk about you know himself what he does and his new book which is a tata rumble uh, a great, great, great story regarding his great grandfather and what he did uh, for indigenous people in, in Tucson. And Henry, I mean, again, for just kind of brag, man, you know, tell us who is Henry? <laughs> like, who is Henry? Who are you? Hey, who? Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's a big question. Uh, I'm okay, cool. Yeah, I'm uh, Henry Barajas. Uh, I'm a comic book uh, author and a journalist from Tucson, Arizona. I'm working on this book, Lavos de Mayo, Tata Rambo. It's about my great-grandfather's political activism. He helped uh, one of the last Native American tribes, the Pasquayaki tribe, gain uh, federal recognition in 1978. It wasn't until 2007 that another tribe was able to um, gain recognition. Um, but in that time, from 1969 to 1978, he helped the tribe gain uh federal funding to help them and their that community, Old Pasqua, get jobs, sidewalks, street lights, plumbing. So there was just so many things that him and this group that he co-founded, La Voz de Mayo, the voice of Mexican-American, Yaqui, and others, primarily this um, neighborhood called, well now, that is called now, Old Pasqua, uh, just all these migrants and people that just kind of ended up in this patch of land that Tucson hadn't really built up towards yet and they were starting to build around them and they got to the point that they wanted to build the uh, Interstate 10 through their land so my great-grandfather and this organization he co-founded got the community together they would publish a newsletter called La Voz de Mayo and ask the community to like get involved and and protest downtown and go to the Pioneer Hotel, which was a famous hotel in Tucson where Elvis Presley and so many different celebrities stayed in. And uh, that's where they had a town hall meeting and it, the community went and said no. And it, if it weren't for that organized effort, that community would have been displaced. 12,000 people would have been spread around a city that basically crossed them. So. If it weren't for that activism, I don't know. I mean, the, the Bosco people are very uh, resilient, strong people. And uh, I, I think it would have just inhibited their ability to be the uh, organized 
tribe that they are now celebrating yeah. 41 years today i think uh, oh. 41 years of uh of tribal recognition that's awesome and that's great and it's a great story and definitely you know i, I want to touch on that uh, first and foremost like you're you're your good grandfather, you know, the image you depicted of him, he was by all means a, a real life hero, you know, and yeah, and not to diminish it at all. Like, you know, you probably, I mean, people say, yeah, he was a hero to some. No, no, like he legitimately, man. I mean, because he was in World War II, you know, he also, not only that, but activism, when you look at it, you know, his families take a back seat sometimes, you know? Yeah. And oh, and you touch on that in your story, and, and I love it. I think that it shows a reality because you kind of get a picture of, this is a family, man. You can tell there was a lot of love in that home from what you showed us, and especially as you connected with him, you know, with the time you, you were with him. and But you also saw where the family had to kind of put a little bit of themselves aside to allow him to help the greater good. and. Yeah. You kind of see that with most activism in, in, in the past. You know, Cesar Chavez, he, he makes an appearance in the book. And also, you think about Martin Luther King, another activist. You know, the families really are the ones that take the bulk of the weight for this individual. You, right. you know, showing his his family, showing you know, his... Obviously, because you mentioned that he really didn't want that big recognition. If what What kind of made you decide, you know what? I need to tell this story. Like what kind of drove you to go kind of against what he usually wanted for you to move forward with it? To be honest, it was just his mortality and his time. You know, he was, he was in his eighties. He was in and out of the VA and there were some scares that we were going to lose him. And I realized that I didn't, that I, I didn't have time on my side and I wish that I had started the project earlier. And, uh, I sat down with everybody in the family whether they knew it or not, I was just mining information of what it was like to be there. And I was lucky enough to interview people like Rosie Jimenez, who was there. Uh, got to interview one of the um, sons of one of the Mayo members, um, Pete Alvarez's kid. And I got to talk to all these people and just get a get like a, a cauldron of like what he was like and just try to throw in as many pieces of this puzzle and the, the problem was that every every answer I got inspired another question so for five years I had to figure out a way to just stop and move on with what I had but moving on also meant not having him his intentions his accomplishments around me 24 7 yeah. and being having to be able to stop that and kind of move on and myself so um you know it's it's been such a, a beautiful journey it's been really difficult uh on me and my time and my friendships and family but i feel like that's what he had to go through so i'm kind of seeing that yeah uh lens, seeing that life through that lens and and seeing um what it was like to be him for a little while yeah i think that and I, and obviously like we kind of we take like a little piece of that right like as far as you said you're you're showing you're sharing a story and you're showing how much time, effort, energy, money, uh, stress, you know, shit, losing hair, right. you know, like, like <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Kind of goes behind it. Imagine him boots on the ground, you know, literally intent intended on that one, having to go through it with his family, his friendships, and everything else, which you cover in the book. 
But you know, I want to I want to ask you something. You know, you touched on this. You know how every every conversation came up and family got involved. I mean, how was growing up for you in Tucson? I mean, how was your childhood with your great grandfather? How was it with your family in general? Have you all did you all like to kind of are you all storytellers? Because some people aren't, some are. I mean, what is your home life like when you were younger? Well, my home life was, uh, you know, I was lucky that my my mother was a stay-at-home mom, so she was able to give us the kind of attention that that kids need at an early age to be able to learn how to read and write and and have like a certain level of discipline that I, I really appreciate. My dad was uh, not very, he was a very uh, physically and verbally abusive person in the household, but he was a good provider. Like he worked really hard, so I, I like to attribute a lot of my work ethic to my mother and my father, you know, working every day, really doing a lot to give us a good life that they didn't have. But, um, you know, mentally and, and growing up, you just don't, they, they, like, as you know, as a Mexican or I'm assuming you're Mexican. Oh, I'm families, from Salvador. We're Salvador. Anyway. Salvador so you're, yeah. Salvador. you're good. You know? we're, all, we're, all, we're all family, man. We're all pretty right. Sorry for assuming that, but mm. we all like, like your family doesn't ever want to go to the doctor. They don't believe in psychiatrists. You know, they don't believe in mental health. It's just nope. work every day and, and get over it. Exist until you yeah, get over it. <laughs> <laughs> so you get a lot of that. And my family, you know, my, my great grandfather's kids, which were my mom's uncles and aunts. So they were my great uncles and aunts. And I was lucky because my, my grandma had my mom when she was very young and my mom had me when she was very young. So I got to know my great-grandmother and my great-grandfather before anyone should, you know, and, and I feel like the circumstances have brought me to this point to be able to tell this story. And my family, are they're, they're, they're comedians. They all love to laugh, and, and they don't really tell stories. They tell jokes. Yeah. So it was just always like a really dark comedy around all the time, and it was just a comedy was always on TV. We always watched comedy uh, films they loved wrestling so there's a certain level of humor within like luchadors and wwe and yeah. wcw like this like camp that was always around and um and my great-grandfather was just a very stoic guy but he he laughed a lot too and um you know he in his older age it was harder to un understand what he was saying and so it was just like it took a lot of patience to sit there and and ask him to repeat himself multiple times because, you know, a lot of his, you know, just just old age kind of takes over. And uh, he was he was the first person to explain taxes to me when I was a kid. Like oh. he was just very um, politically minded, even to like a child. You know, like he just he was a uh, he was a very interesting person, and I miss him. No man, he sounds amazing. I mean, you're telling a part of his story in volume one here. I know you that. Uh, you know, you have plans for more, uh, but I mean, we'll get to that here. But I wanted to touch on, you, you know, your your journey for finding that out with your family. Do you think that, you know, and I've noticed this just in, in conversations with people and friends and whatnot, but the Latino community or even the Native American communities, they have a very, very, very close connection to their elders, a lot more so than a lot of other communities that I've seen. And, you know, not to put anybody else, everybody, you know, circumstances are different but right. you you were able to do so and i was able to know my great-grandmother 
my grandmother lived with us until you know she passed like i was able to experience the same things you're talking about and that echoes through a lot of these communities do you do you, do you see that because of this tradition that is this something that we can keep going as a Latino community? Or do you think that things are changing? Because I see the younger crowds kind of showing me a different vibe when it comes to, uh, you know, maintaining that tradition. What do you think? Well, I think, to be honest, um, you and I come from a similar background in the fact that our families are probably not that wealthy. So you don't have a choice but to keep people in the home because... Yeah you know, getting care. a nurse or, you know, care is very expensive and, and health care right now is very expensive. So a lot of, you know, a lot of families just don't have that choice anymore. And with the baby boomers entering retirement age, it's only going to get worse. Yeah. And I think for people like you and myself, we are not in that way. If I were to p compare my situation to my parents, at my age, my mom and dad had two kids. They owned a house. You know, I don't have a house, and I wouldn't be able to bring in a family to help, you know. And, and, and a lot of the times, these types of properties are handed down, and, and that's, that, I think that, that's the difference. And, um, yeah. yes, I feel like within our social media age of, like, the selfie and, and being a little bit more self-centered, uh, carrying on those types of traditions is becoming more scarce. You know, you, you, told, and, uh, you mentioned earlier and I, about telling us his story, right? As time moves on, he said, I wish I would have done this sooner, right? And right. I have been trying to work on a project, you know, and similar. I have my mother. She came here during the war in El Salvador uh, during the late, the late 80s, early 80s, you know, and they fled during that whole scenario, which is there's hundreds of stories like mine. Right. Yeah. And definitely. but like you mentioned, you know, you, you, f you saw yourself get on things moving forward. Always talked about it. You you had him there with you. Uh, I kind of I, I guess my question to you is you mentioned it in the book how difficult it was to gather information. Right. How right. it might as well have been you wrote the history book about this event. You know, not to say that, not to diminish <laughs> anybody. Right. Hey, no, I mean, uh, a, part, a part of that is true. I mean, I, I had a lot of help. Yeah, and not only that, but uh, we had another uh, friend of the show, um, Gonzalo Alvarez. He's the creator of uh, The Legend of Pollo Man. And mm -hmm. now he mentioned himself the same thing, researching not what languages and things like that, that he had to almost, he's now become an authority regarding that because of his fact-finding and, and researching and talking to people. Do you think that the longer I wait, the harder it's going to get? Honestly, yes, because... Um, you know, your mother, I'm assuming, you know, she's probably in her 50s, pushing yeah. 60. Um, you know, there's just, uh, the memories isn't as good as it was. And depending on, you know, and she might have friends that were there. She might have, you know, there might be people that were around that won't be around. So I think it's important. This is this is something that it, it's going to hurt too. Like I think people need to realize that when they start to look in the past, these types of things start to really upset people, whether you know it or not. There are a lot of un, there are a lot of like consequences that you don't realize until you're digging and asking, because like you said, the essential story is a war. Yeah. So she might have lost people, or she might have seen people lose their lives, and 
and it, it just it hurts and and in people's mortality is also very um, fragile yeah. you know when you see someone die you can't help but think oh man what is it going to be like if i die or you know it, it just it's just kind of how it is but and what you're trying to do is also in el salvador so you got to go back i mean if you want and if you can and if there's resources library uh, you know, just archival newspapers and and finding those types of pieces of information that could help really make your story legitimate. No, and, and I appreciate that. And, you know, and I think that what I'm taking away from it, not only from me trying to create something to present, you know, to, to tell a story, but I think in general, right, it's something that we should all just as families, as 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 just people <laughs> with a connection to somebody right. everybody has a story right you know someday someone that you're hopefully your grand great grandkids tell a story about you and the story you told and or mine <laughs> you know, who knows right this right. podcast thing ever takes off and you know we never know right but i think it's a matter of just still connecting with the past because without that we won't have what we have today we won't move forward we're always appreciative of our parents what they've done the struggles and to kind of talk about what your grandfather went through and, and everything he had to deal with with the city of Tucson and what he had to do with recognition for the tribes and how you really and I want to just uh, really compliment your your artist too. Uh, I don't know if yeah, you want to talk about Gonzo. Yeah, 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 definitely. Please, 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 uh, brag about the, about him, his work, and because it's the way it's, it's depicted and shown, man. It's such a great visual. It's very consumable. Where it's not like, because we've all seen those history comic books, you know. Mm -hmm. This though, it's very consumable. It's it's in it's raw. It doesn't. It's cartoony, but it's very raw in what's being shown. So I mean, I mean, he, I know he can't speak for himself, but please, you know, please uh, talk about your artist and talk about maybe yeah, if he's yeah. Sharing anything. No, um, I've known Gonzo for a long time. He, we met at Phoenix Comic Con, and I remember. Everyone just was, was wouldn't shut up about how great he was, and I went over to his booth and just introduced myself, and I was blown away with his his aesthetic. Like his booth had like wooden, like a wooden canvas, and all his prints were like on individual canvases, and his shirts were paint like neon pink almost, and he has these green like that turquoise blue. He if you look at the yeah. cover, you know those are all the same colors he uses a lot of the times, and my publisher. Uh, had liked what I was what I was doing, and he said, "I will help you." Matt Hawkins uh, is the publisher of Top Cow. He said, "I'll I'll help you make this if you get uh, Jason Gonzalez to do this." And and then he he goes by Jay Gonzo. So I called him. I was like, "Hey man, I'm doing this book, and it's about my great grand." You know, I gave him the spiel, and he was like, "You know what? Uh, there's actually I'm actually open to do this." And it was just awesome. a perfect storm. And uh, thankfully, since he lives in Phoenix, he's able to. I gave him some addresses, so he was able to go down to Old Pasqua and put himself in that environment. And wow. my only color note to him was, "I want this to always look like a Tucson sunset." So, like, <laughs> if if you yeah. look at it, there's it's constantly in in like the height of the sunset and dusk, uh, unless it's night. But he uh, really nailed it, and he's such an amazing storyteller. He really gets, you know, and in, in in my scripts, I. I, I try to write in a six to eight panel beat and he really took those beats and, and made them his own and went in directions that I would have never gone because he has a really good eye for this. So 
he did the art. He did the pencils, inks, and colors. Um, Bernardo uh, Bris, he was um, a, he's based in Brazil. He did the letters. I have uh, Claire Napier. She is the um, editor. She's based in the UK. Um, so I have such an awesome team, and I'm really grateful for everybody putting their their lives their their life on hold for a year to help me tell this story. You know, it's it's gorgeous the work that all the these people from different you know parts of the world are working on this one book, man. Like you gotta you gotta flex a little bit, right? I mean, like <laughs> shit, like yeah, I fucking got it. Like I did it. You know, and your grandpa would be fucking yeah. proud, right? You get the little bit flex on there, so I definitely commend you for that. And of course, the artwork. And I wanted to touch on that because, like the artwork, it's. I love it. Like, I really like the colors. They pop. And I, I get it now. Like you said that, like, sunset kind of orangey yellow coloring kind of yeah. covering over, which is it's gorgeous, man. You If you've ever driven through, like, New Mexico, Arizona, like, that's kind of when the sun's setting or rising, that gorgeous color over all the desert looks beautiful, right? And so yeah. that beauty showing some of the, I mean, the dark side of things, right? You know, you kind of have right. that, that contrast, the juxtaposition of things. And he really displayed that really, really well. So I definitely recommend, you know, really looking at this work and appreciating. If you appreciate the artwork itself, then honestly, you get a great story out of it, too. And, you know, we you, you mentioned earlier that the main focus of the story, of course, was showing how your grandfather helped this group of people, you know, try to get recognition. Uh, you know, my cousin mentioned one time, because he read your book, and he was like, man, he wished he could be on with us tonight, but he couldn't. He mentioned a story that he was in Oklahoma and he mentioned that he happened to meet somebody at a bar. They ended up talking and he goes, I don't know how it came up about uh, tribal lands, just conversation, right? Casinos and whatnot. And the guy mentions, well, yeah, hey, I happen to be part of this tribe and I'm getting a check from the government every month. And my cousin, I guess at that point, had gotten comfortable enough with them or enough beers in them where he's like, how the fuck are you getting a check every month? But you're white. Like you're just white. <laughs> and he laughs yeah. and he's like, oh, here, here's a picture of our chief. Another white man. Right. Mm-hmm. And then so fast forward to a different situation, same area. And a friend of his is dating a girl that actually is Native American. But she was adopted by a white family. And could not prove. That she was Native American in order to get reparations or to get the assistance so how difficult is it for a legitimate native american woman to prove her ethnicity in this scenario but a white person can just easily say yeah i am here's some paperwork and here i go (laughs) yeah i mean that's that's the um the problem that the yaki tribe had um with getting recognition because they didn't have any tribal, they didn't have any, they didn't have a um, land treaty with the U.S. government because they were so far down in the southwest in a very undesirably climate area, as you know, being in Texas and being, you know, uh, they ended up, they ended up being fled, they ended up fleeing Mexico, crossing a border that had crossed them, ending up in a part of Tucson that was very, it wasn't even a. It wasn't Tucson yet, I don't think. And um, so yeah, it was hard for them to to prove that to um, the government. It was if it weren't for who's in, one of the key um, 
characters in my book is Morris K. Udall. He was the cheerleader for the the, the, the Bosco Yaki tribe and the Bono Autumn Nation. Um, he's the one that was like he worked with JF, JFK. He was the um, he worked with the environmental uh, division within the government, and he convinced Jimmy Carter and his administration to help them help this tribe and, and recognize them. And uh, so you need that, you know, unfortunately, like you said, like it's really difficult to see someone that had, can prove their native status while someone isn't brown enough, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's a really unfortunate situation and, and the system's not um, built to accept people who are legitimate without paperwork. It's, it's built to limit the people it's, as much as possible because taxpayer dollars fund this. Yeah, and you know, you you touch on it in the book how we had the, the help from the Catholic Church, and I love how real it was. You know, and that, there's a scene where you have the church show up, and your grandpa, your grandfather's like, "Oh shit," you know, like, and, <laughs> and I loved it, man, because he was out there, he was out there pimping, you know, and I was like, right, "What's gonna happen?" And then it flips on a dime, and I won't spoil it, so you know, definitely check that no, out. Go but, spoil it. No, I mean, I love do. it. I dig it because the, 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 he walks in and the first thing the the like, sacerdote shows up, garbage everything, a monja and nun shows up and he's like, oh shit, the party's over. No, they're like, hey man, do you have a cigarette? Let me chat with you real quick. The nun's like, I need a shot. Let's get going. And it's like, yeah, that's the that's the, the pastor that I grew up with. You know what I mean? Like, right? that's, that's, yeah. that's the reality of it. You know, I, I fucking love the reality of it. Yeah, it's it was awesome. funny because somebody told me, like, hey, why is this nun asking for a beer? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> well, you just have, you didn't go to my church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't know the padre like I know the padre, you know what I mean? Yeah, there was a strip club across the street from the reservation. So he was caught there, you know? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I mean, hey. But think about it. Does How that... does he get caught there if he, someone's not going there? You know exactly. What I mean? <laughs> exactly. Go. He had to address it. I'll never forget. I like to tell the story. I was a child, and the 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 priest had told us the story. He sounded like this like little Jewish dude. So he's like, I there was this story where that this priest went to a strip club and he went to the devil and he told the devil, "You're a bad man," and the devil said, "Well, you're in here with me too." Exactly. And you could tell, like, yeah, that something bad happened. But yeah, like you know, I. I Doing being in catechism, going through my first communion. I didn't get to do my confirmation, but me neither, man. You got people on a very human level because they were in your neighborhood and they would go to your parties and drink and and eat your food and you would eat their food and grow up with their kids. So, I mean, it was just I wanted to show that part of religion that you know I'm not you know I'm not a very religious guy. I have Catholic guilt. Is what I like to tell people. <laughs> I think we all grew up with that, man. Like, no yeah. lie. Like, I didn't do my catechism, and my mom's like, <sighs> you know, she still, she still, you know, she, I mean, they said, she's like, you know, now you can't get married in the church. I'm like, I'm okay, mom. I got married without the church. I'm all right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she's all that old school, like, right. like you know, my mom wouldn't, this how, this is how, you know, you probably grew up the same way. My mom, when they would give out the ostia, you know, the the, the yeah. offering or whatever, my mom wouldn't go get it. And I'm like, hey, why weren't you baptized and all that? And she's like, 
I can't. And I go, why? He goes, because I got married at, by, by, the, by City Hall. Since I wasn't oh. married by the church, I can't have Austin. I'm like, Mom, really? <laughs> you know, but, you know, in those creencias, right? You grew up with the family, the traditions or whatnot. And that's yeah. kind of what I was kind of leaning the story towards was that the reality, the reality of it, the good, the bad, the funny, uh, the stories. And uh, tell me how you feel on this one, man. But, you know, with the Yakut, the tribes that your grandfather was helping with his with his team and everybody that was involved in this, you know, all the families, there is a lot. Uh, why I really want to push this forward is that this story is important. Your book is important, not just for entertainment value. It's very important. Because it shows that throughout the history of be it Native Americans, Mexicanos, Chicanos, Latino Americanos, you know, everything here, there needs to be that, that connection. You know, like we talked about the access pipeline, right? We have that, that connection with we're trying to help tribes, helping Latinos, Latino helping tribes. It's just it's a matter of giving this connection together because we're one in the same. You know, as far as traditions, as far as different beliefs and different ways of handling things. But we're all families and they're all human beings. And I feel like at that time, because of this group of people coming together, because of people like your great grandfather and other people around that really helped cheerlead this, like you mentioned earlier, they were able to get something done. Right. They were afraid right. of all these people getting recognition because that means more people that will have a voice to stop them. You know, la voz, right? And so yes. that needs to be told to show people, hey, look, it worked. Let's use that same spirit towards right. what's happening today. So that's why I, yes. I don't know if you meant it that way or if you feel the same way, but that's really how I took it when I read your book. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah, that was definitely something that was, uh, I, I started writing this, you know, five years ago, 2015, you know, watching the the evolution of Trump within the, yeah. uh, you know, his campaign and and just seeing that that build and seeing and being and being helpless almost, you know, and looking at what my great grandfather did and, and his and what Mayo did and the other part of the story I also want to hammer in is that it wasn't just Ramon it was a group of people that have been omitted from yeah, history exactly you know we dedicate this to everybody that was a part of Mayo that that put themselves in jeopardy that stepped out of their comfort zone to to do something big and and watching them I mean like reading the history through that they had documented was very inspiring and also helped me get through the last you know five years because it, it had a weight, you know, there's weight behind their struggle, you know, the lives that were saved, you know, yeah. because no bullshit. Like they say, you're, you know, the group that you're, the, the, the Mayo group saved lives, man, you know, oh, directly yeah. and directly. And, and you look back at it, like we talked about way early in the, in the conversation, like, you know, his, those people, not only your great grandfather, but everyone involved gave up a lot to help other people because I believe that activism or the people that are that do these things do them because they know that if you don't no one else will right yes yeah. and they have that spirit that fucking motor inside them that lets them get out there and get this happening and i think you inherit a little bit of that as well you know your family tells these stories 
and then you went and went this route because this is the medium you chose to, to share it in, right? Uh, and I think that one, and just correct me if I'm wrong, because you know, hey, you're you're more in the comic book <laughs> business than I'm I am, but check this, right? It's more accessible. It's it's something that's easy to consume, and it's welcoming to kids even. I mean, to a certain extent, you know, and it's yeah. something that you can share. It's easy. Hey, read this. It's gonna make an impact. And I think that now in this age we're in right now, how comic books or graphic novels are so accessible, be it digital, be it physical, even. I like tangible still, so I'm an old guy. But <laughs> it's it's the perfect medium. You know, was there an option in your mind of anything else besides a comic book? Or would you or did you think about something else instead? Like were you trying to go maybe documentary? I mean, I'm just kinda curious where your head was at. Yeah, I mean, um, when I started this, I started the biography because I was a journalist. I I written stories myself, and um, it wasn't until I got a hold of um, March by. Uh, have you have you heard of March? No. So March is about the life. It's about the um, the life of uh, Congressman John Lewis. Okay. He um, basically him and Andrew uh, Aiden and Nate Powell uh, they had taken um, John Lewis's life. He was a you know born in Alabama. He worked with Dr. Martin Luther King during the Civil Rights era, and um, I saw that and I realized that I could do this with that with do I could tell my story in a similar fashion. Similar fashion. And, yeah. As you know, I was I was making my money, paying my bills as a journalist, so just automatically typing my heart out was what I did at that point. So I wanted to uh, get back to making comics as I started making comics when I was 18 years old. I wrote for Comics Beat, uh, Heidi McDonald's news blog. I had published my own comics, and and I wasn't really getting anywhere. But this was my opportunity to to go back into this and, and tell a story that needed to be told. Um, you know, I like film, and I love, I love, I watch film, you know, I'm a big cinephile, I love documentaries, and I watch them all the time, but the, the amount of money it takes to make oh, yeah. a documentary or film is anywhere from twenty to $100,000 to a million dollars, and with a comic book, I was able to tell a story with, I mean, a fraction of that, and be able to put it in, in like you said, having a, having a certain accessibility, not everybody can afford to stream Netflix and yeah. and have a laptop and a cell and a you know a, a cell phone. As long as you got a library card, you'll be able to get this book if your library picks it up, or a comic book store, or bookstore, you know, will will have these this as an option to carry it. So, yeah, I mean, and that's where I grew up: libraries and comic book stores, and and I wanted to get back to that. The library, you mentioned it because we, you know, in Austin, Texas, my cousin, he went ahead and because you can, I don't know if you know, but listeners know this, you can request books. You can requisition <laughs> and request books for the library to purchase for everyone's yes. consumption. Don't forget that. Like you said it, the library was I, where I went, man, was where I played Yu-Gi-Oh, where I uh, <laughs> read my books and first right. got on the internet. The library was everything, you know? There you go. And yeah, so, I mean, that's... That's where we all grew up, right? We didn't have access at home, so we got it over there. But what I'm getting at is you have to request the books that you want your, your community to read. So when this book fully comes out, and I really want you to touch on that here 
I know you have a certain plan maybe for for the the book. I believe it's going to be actually put in a trade, right? Which is going to be a certain amount of Yeah, so that. originally this book was um I had to do kickstarters to pay my creative team. So yeah. I um so I did single issues but in a very small uh public like a very small run. So there's only currently 600 copies of the first issue out in the world. There's only 400 copies of the second issue. Wow. And then we're going to do a third uh, Kickstarter to uh, pay the creative team. But they had to actually, op they're currently working for free so that the graphic novel can publish uh, in November. So we're collecting the entire story so that the direct market, the comic book market, the libraries get it all in one shot. So if when is the book coming out that everybody can have access and so, look for and yeah so the book uh, officially at your local comic book store comes out on November um, November 13th sure. yeah they'll double check no sweat yeah November 13th and then uh, regular bookstores will get it November 19th and Amazon and all the um, uh, digital uh, retailers out there. So, yeah, the comic book store gets it first um, on the on the thirteenth. So, yeah, if you go to your bookstore um, library and give them the ISBN number, which I will send to you, so you can have it. Yeah, it's also please, on my Twitter. It. Yeah, it's also on the Lavos de Mayo Twitter, and uh, and yeah, I mean, and and every pre-order helps because uh, when someone pre-orders on Amazon, they order three more copies. When your comic book store orders, when you pre-order with your comic book store, depending on how many, they'll, they'll order an extra couple for the shelf. No, no, definitely. We want to support Primos. You know, we always talk about, uh, you know, we got to make noise and this needs to go out there. You know, the more eyes we have on this, the more people behind it, the better. This is a great story. You know, we've, we've shared a little bit about it, but I really do urge you to seek it out. You can, like you said, he's Amazon. You can also check uh, his Twitter. Go ahead and give us your Twitter for, for yourself as well as the comic. Yeah, account. it's uh, it's Henry, uh, Henry Barajas. And then the uh, Twitter for La Voz de Mayo is uh, La Voz de Mayo TP, trade paperback. So uh, it's also on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, it's also on the Image Comics website. So if you type in La Voz de Mayo. And uh, yeah, it was surreal to see La Voz de Mayo on ImageComics.com right underneath Todd McFarlane's Spawn 300, you know. <laughs> yeah, because, uh, you know, like, so, we mentioned it earlier, you know, I... Like this is our first kind of conversation, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. I hope that we gave the respect to your work uh, that it deserves. You and did. Also, Thank you. And I definitely wanted to kind of highlight you a little bit and uh, share kind of where you're coming from and why you did this because there's always a story behind it. You know, in the same way that your great grandfather has his family supporting him, you have your support system, be it friends, family, what have you. And we want to be part of that support system too. You know, to all creators especially sharing our stories you know latino stories not only our latino stories but also native american any other disenfranchised society group that needs it so i really want primos urge you to seek out uh la voz de mayo tata rambo you know look for it on amazon again follow henry we'll post everything on our our instagram our social media and really put it out there uh you definitely gotta per trust me i'm on board 
You know, we're gonna. We're, I'm on board. Got Primo Walter on board. You know, the next Kickstarter round comes around, man. We're gonna get it out there too. And I hope this is uh, the start of something good with us here. We can always share. I hope, feel free to come back. Uh, don't hesitate. Yeah, man. Henry. No, definitely. Oh, shout out to uh, everybody at the Latino Comics Expo, at the uh, Texas Latino Comics Expo. Uh, you know, just it, it's it, that, those, that those events really help everybody around each other and it's it's a very um welcoming space and and i mean it's one of those things where you heard about me because of that event and because they had nothing but nice things to say and and i'm just really honored that those people you know the hector and javier and uh, were and ricardo and teresa rojas and frederick aldama like you know there's just so many amazing people that are in this space that are really putting themselves out there and they don't, they don't owe anybody anything. So again, shout out to them. Definitely Henry. Well, you know, I won't keep you. I thank you for making the time, my friend. And people oh, remember, dude, uh, just follow and support Henry. And of course, check out, we'll check out the link on our Instagram, our Facebook and our Twitter and primos till next time. Good night. <laughs>